0: Have you ever had a goal that just seemed impossible? If so, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Consistent Runner Girls Notable Peeps, the series that gives attention to remarkable people who are putting on their shoes, doing their best, and believing in the impossible. All my dreams are coming, all my dreams are humming, all my dreams are coming true. Oh, mm-hmm listening to the Notable Peeps podcast. Hello, my name's Steph. And guys, this is episode number 20, which is so exciting. Considering at the beginning of the year, I was still paralyzed by fear to start this podcast. And so as I look back, I just am so grateful that I just reached out to these people that I love their blogs or their Instagram or the cool people in my life to interview them. And I want to give you guys the opportunity, those people in your life, that inspire you, head on over to NotablePeeps.com. And it's just like three simple things that you have to fill out to nominate them to be a guest on the Notable Peeps podcast. So I just wanted to give you guys the opportunity to share the people that that you love and admire as well. And today's guest is Miss Katie Gleed, and she teaches junior high kids, which I look at it, and I'm like, you could not pay me enough to step foot in a junior high building. Like, worst years of my life. But I'm surrounded by so many friends and family members that are teachers. And as I look at these teachers and the effort that they put into lesson planning and grading papers and loving these kids, I'm just so grateful for all of you teachers out there that go above and beyond. And there's this quote by William Arthur Ward. I don't know who he is, but I like this quote. And he said, the mediocre teacher tells the good teacher explains, the superior teacher demonstrates, and the great teacher inspires. And as I think about those great teachers that inspired me, I think of Mrs. Burbage and the love that she shared for me. I think of Mr. Hadfield and how through his totalitarian regime, he taught me more about gratitude for the country that we live in than anything else. And and so I hope that all of you teachers out there, as you listen to this, just know that even if these kids aren't grateful, one day they will be, you know, and everyone has their own style of teaching. So I hope that as you listen to Katie, it just inspires you to continue teaching your style and and putting your personality into it. So Katie, I, like I said, she teaches junior high and she teaches at a charter school so she has all boys that she teaches and then all girls. the classes aren't are mixed gender. and so can you imagine having a class of all girls or a class of all boys in those eighth seventh, eighth grade years? Crazy. One thing that I love and admire about Katie as she's talked to me about all her stories throughout the years, is that as she teaches history, she teaches these principles of leadership and confidence and owning your mistakes. So here's Miss Katie Gleed talking about her love and passion for history. Let's talk first about your crush. Now, this man, he lived several hundred years ago. Yeah. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about him. I for older men, apparently. <laughs> so
1: his name was Marquis de Lafayette, and he was... He he fought in the Revolutionary War, but he was from France.
0: Well, so I remember you talked about how you'll tell your students all about your okay. crush, and then they're like, oh. Yeah,
1: so we read this book called The Real George Washington, and it's a huge feat for these 7th and 8th graders because it's 800 pages long, and it it basically goes through George Washington's life, and it highlights this one man, Marquis de Lafayette, And I remember the first time I read it, I was sitting in class, it was dead silent, and I just like hit the table and I was like, I have a crush on Lafayette because he's just such an honorable man and he like he came over from France like and he just felt so strongly about liberty and about freedom and the cause that these that these farmers were fighting for that he came over to the United States, well, you know, and he came over, and he fought with George Washington's army, and he became, like, very high ranking and he became, like, the son that George Washington never had. So strategic in what he did. His brain like absolutely brilliant, and everything he did, he always kept his cause forefront, and he was always, always working to to free his men, basically. So he's not even fighting for his own freedom, because he went back to France. He just came over to fight with the Americans and he loved America so much. And he was saying, like, I want to be, I want to be buried on American soil. And there was no way, like, he's dying. You know, they can't get him, you know, when he died, they couldn't get him over here. And so they shipped over a bunch of dirt, like a bunch of soil from the United States. So he's buried in France because he also loved France. He's buried in France in American soil. Yeah, I just, I love him. Like, he's an absolutely incredible
0: man. Well, hearing you talk about it, I'm like, man, you bring history to life, especially for you You teach um, teenage boys, right?
1: Yeah, and this year is my first year. I have a girls' class, too, so I have a boys' class, and I have a girls'
0: class. But you bringing up, I have a crush on Lafayette, Lafayette, right? Uh-huh. It brings it to their level, because they're like, oh, I have a crush on... Joe, whatever, right. whoever. <laughs> so, and it's pretty
1: funny because, like, we'll study about Frederick Douglass. I like, he's such an incredible man. And i will be like, Miss Lee, "Do you have a crush on Frederick Douglass?" And like, no, I reverence his name. <laughs> like, these people, I do think because they become they're real to me. They really, they really lived. They really fought for the things that they fought for, and had these these like grandiose and phenomenal ideas that they really had. Like this all really happened, and so when they become people to me, I it innately translates to the students as well. Like they they become real to them. They want to know Lafayette. They want to know Frederick Douglass. They want to know Squanto. They want to know all these different characters that to me have become very real.
0: You're throwing out all these names, and I have no clue who you're talking about. <laughs> <I didn't> Squanto. <laughs> <laughs> I history, I had no idea. And then it just like lit me on fire. I'm gonna have to research more to be your friend. Yeah. <laughs> That's a story. <laughs> okay, I will. Well, you're talking about how these guys come to life. And another favorite story is that you had all these boys and you were teaching about George Washington and you had them go out and describe this situation a little bit. You're out in the back. Um,
1: yes. Okay. So this was my first year teaching and it was the first time I was like, wow, I've been teaching for like a month and a half and I'm going to lose my job. Um we went out we were studying the revolutionary war again reading that book the real george washington and it was about when george washington and his men crossed the delaware in the middle of winter and they crossed it at night like there's fog it's dark there's there's ice in the river there, it was a terrible situation and the thing that i always forgot when before i like started teaching was that these were not trained soldiers these were not the military that we see today there was some but not much And for the most part, they were, they were farmers and shop owners and tailors and different, different occupations. They weren't career soldiers. And so when they would have something like this happen, this isn't a trained troop that knows how to get in line and knows where to go and knows what needs to happen. These are men who then turn to George Washington and say, like, what do we do? Like, how do we, how do we cross the Delaware? You know, what we ended up doing in class, I decided to do, it's called a, experiential education or a simulation activity where you actually create a physical experience with whatever the curriculum is that you're teaching. They have to get from the school across the field to the fence in a certain amount of time. And the first year that I did it, it was absolutely a wreck. George Washington freaked out. Everybody bailed out of the ship, like not even halfway across the field. And the field isn't big. It's, not, it's smaller than a football field. And all these kids are bailing out of it, except this one kid holding an American flag and dragging this cardboard boat behind him. And he's like, for liberty! And like <laughs> running across this, like, 12-year-old boy. It was the most heroic thing <laughs> and so courageous. And he took off, and these boys are just furious at each other. And I look up, and the director of our school is standing they <laughs> You're up, like, oh, no. House. I know. So oh, great. So then I calmed things down. Like No one was injured or anything, but I calmed them down. And we huddled together and we talked about the leadership that it would have taken. So why did we fail is what we were talking about. And like where, what is, what was it in George Washington that enabled him to lead a troop of untrained men? What was it about an idea? Like I have lots of ideas and I don't have armies lining up behind me to support me. What was it that he, about him, what did he do and about his leadership? that really got him across that river, got him around the Hessians in other places, got him through Valley Forge, got him through, you know, Congress meetings with Hamilton and Jefferson on each side of him. What made him that kind of a leader? And first year, they these boys just sat and talked about it and came up with what leadership really is and what it looks like individually and that that's not what leadership is. And one of the coolest moments, crowd teacher crying almost, we walk into the classroom and one of the kids walked up to another kid that had played George Washington and was like, you know, I lost all respect for you in doing this activity. And the kid who was playing George Washington like nodded his head and he was like, I understand. And then he stuck out his hand and he said, but when you owned it, you gained all of it back and more. And it was the coolest experience to watch this exchange between, they were 13 at the time, these 13 year old boys who are shaking hands and saying totally failed, put us in a bad position, but because you own it, I forgive you, and that they bonded over it was just such a cool moment to see that element of leadership and that that life lesson that was taught through history through that moment and that experience.
0: Well, and that's going to be something that they always remember.
1: Yeah, it was cool. I had I had a kid from that yourself by the other day, and he and I just sat and talked, and he brought up that exact experience. Do you remember when so and so yelled at so and so and jumped out of the boat? And then do you remember when and this kid walked up to that kid and they shook hands after? Totally remember that. Anyways, it does. It sticks with you.
0: So I actually was thinking about this story today, because, and I think probably because I knew I was going to come interview you, but at work today, I made a mistake, and I was sitting there ready to write an email to tell these people that, hey, I messed up, I didn't pay attention to this thing, and I was like, oh, maybe they won't know, maybe I don't have to own up, but I thought of this story, and no, I really did, and how with like George Washington, that kid, how he was like... Hey, I think more of you. Not that I wanted these yeah. people to think more. You know what? I think that there is power in owning up for your mistakes, and, be- and when it's not in a leadership thing, but anywhere in life, of being like, yeah, I messed up, or even with friends, being like, hey, I shouldn't have said that, or I shouldn't have done that. Like, I messed up.
1: Two years ago, I had some kids, and one day they were like, can we do a roast of all the teachers? I was like, you have to be, you have to be nice. And they're like, okay, well, what about impressions? like, <laughs> Okay. Can you do impressions of all of your teachers? And at my school we call teachers mentors. So they're like, Can we do can we do an impression of mentors? Okay, but you have to be respectful. If you want respect, you give respect. Okay, and so they were going through all of these different mentors that we have and it was absolutely a riot. It was and they were nailing it. But one of the things the kids did and the kids were laughing because it was like, um they were mocking me, but it means that it like got in their head, but one of the kids like he took his hand And he held it above his head, and he was like, you belong up here, but you're acting like you're down here. What do you need to do to get back up there? And all of my boys are like, own it! And that, like, brings you right back up, because that feeling when you're down there, and you're, like, looking up like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And you don't want anybody to know what you did, because you know you belong above, feel that deficit of where you should be. I don't know why we resist to own it, but I do it too, and it's like, oh, do I have to tell somebody? Does somebody need to know? Or when kids, like, I'll call them out in the hall, and there's kids that I've done discipline with before, and they'll be like, like, there'll be three boys standing there, and I'm like, okay, so what's going on? And some kids will start making excuses, and one year this kid just, like, elbows the other one and he's like, dude, it goes better if you just own it. <laughs> yes, like, it's the rude one. I don't know what it is about our human nature, but when we own it, it's... It
0: goes away. Like we step right back up on that scale where we know we belong. Love that. Own it. And, and really after I sent that email and I, I could have been like, oh, this or this or this reason, but I just owned it and mm-hmm. said, Hey, I made this mistake. Like I wasn't paying attention to this. Like I'm sorry. I probably will get in trouble for it still, but it felt. So good of just, that's the type of person I want to be. But I really did. And I think it's because part of it, too, is that I knew I was going to interview you. But I really thought of those boys and how I picture it in my mind as, like, chaos. Uh And then George Washington. Yeah, Um, Pseudo George Washington being (laughs) like, hey, I didn't do that. Yeah, that's
1: awesome.
0: You didn't start on your career path as a teacher. You started in the corporate world. Do you want to talk a little bit about... Your job there and then why you made the transition to teaching?
1: Yeah, so I originally had started out when I graduated I wanted to work in nonprofit. I studied organizational communication and I emphasized in conflict management. And I wanted to do nonprofit work and then I, I did for a little bit and then I went on an LDS mission. And then when I came home it was two thousand and nine, I came up two thousand nine. And like the market was not good for for non and so I went to work for a company called Expeditors. They're a fantastic company. They do international logistics. And I did that in Seattle for a couple years. And then I moved down here and did it for a year. It gets a wonderful company. And I enjoyed my team. And to an extent, like I enjoyed what I was doing. But there was something missing. And I could feel that. And so I just started looking at what made me successful in that career. And with people... And what was it that I really enjoyed? And through a few conversations with people that I'm really close to with questions like, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? And what are you passionate about? If you could go back and rewrite your story, or even if starting here, you could rewrite it and wake up tomorrow with a new chapter, like, what would that chapter be? And I wanted to go to school psychology. I love small group dynamics. When somebody has a conflict, I'm like, oh yeah, like, let's get this.
0: Is that why you get excited when I give you a Marco Polo about <laughs> conflict in my life? <laughs> yes. And
1: I'm like, is I'm so excited. Conflict is, like, it really is just a marker for growth. It just means, like, hey, there's, There's just something tweaked here, and once you untweak it, there's a new element of growth and discovery and adventure or healing, whatever it might be. And so I knew I liked conflict management, but I really wanted to make a difference. And so I was like, okay, well, I want to be like a... What I really wanted to do originally was family counseling, and... Then I heard I was doing informational interviews with a bunch of family counselors, trying to figure out like, if that really was the path I wanted to take. What would be the best route if I did decide to take that route? And it was about my tenth interview with someone that she said, "What I really wish I'd done was go into school psychology." What is this? And she was like, "Well, basically, you're a psychologist. Like, you get to do therapy with with students, and you do testing for disabilities, and you get summers off." Woo! Sure. Yeah. That sounds amazing. And so the school, so I started looking into that career, it's more informational interviews, decided it was what I wanted to do. But I decided that I wanted to get a few years, like a street cred, <laughs> is what I always call it, by going into the classroom. Because I didn't want to be a school psychologist saying, like, this student needs this accommodation. I thought that it would be beneficial for me to, if I'm saying that to somebody, that I've actually been in a classroom. I know the impact that that would have on the rest of the students. And so I found out that in the state of Utah, you can teach for three years without a license. You teach under the license of someone else while you're pursuing your own license. So I taught for six months, and then I moved up, and I loved it. Absolutely way more than I had ever anticipated. So I I found the school that I'm still at, and I taught there for six months, and then I moved up to the office, and I did discipline, and I worked under the the license of the counselor there. She's absolutely phenomenal, and I worked under her license, and I counseled with her a lot with what was going on. She walked me through things, and then I ended up going back to the classroom for just some things that had happened, and then the next year I went full time up to the office, and it was rough. Like it was not. It didn't feed my soul the way that I needed it to. And there was, there's a teacher that is next door to me. He's, he's one of my like life mentors. His name's Steve. And one day he came up to me after I'd been up in the office for, I think I've been up there like seven months. He was like, I figured out what's wrong with you. And I'm like, I didn't know anything was wrong with me. And he said, you've gone stale. You've absolutely gone stale. And so I.
0: You're like, thanks, Steve. I <laughs> Throat. And
1: so, anyway, and I was like, "Can you explain?" This, please? He was like, "I don't know. Do you feel stale?" And I was like, "No, I don't feel stale. I'm like, what does that mean?" And really, what it came down to is, I need to be in the trenches with these kids. Like, when you're in the counseling office, it is you're vital. Like, absolutely, what the counselors do is so necessary and so 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 needed. Uh, it's a lot of triage so is how like we all related to it. That like you're, you're not doing a lot of progressive counseling and you do some of it. But I felt like with the workload that I had, it ended up being more just triage. It was more responsive. And even meeting with students, I felt like I had as far as like step-by-step progress, I had more of an impact in the classroom than I did in the counseling office, which isn't the same for every counselor. That was just how I personally handled things. And so I went back to the classroom, and I crazy love it. I absolutely love it. And I felt what Steve was talking about when I went back, like, this new life. So there's a book from Oliver DeMille, and he talks about, like, when we stare Abraham Lincoln in the face, and we have to answer questions that he's already answered. Like, when when we think about civil rights, when we think about when I have to stare Harriet Tubman in the face, or when, like, as an example, Abraham Lincoln, when he was faced with a hard decision, and he says... Would Jane Eyre have done this, this, and this?
0: He really used Jane Eyre? Yeah. Really?
1: Yeah. We used to have these scholars, these people who who studied these classics and knew what decisions were based on because they understood the principles that people had made their decisions on. And so then it becomes applicable in our own lives. And so it makes decision-making easier because... I really respect Jane Eyre. I really respect Frederick Douglass. And I know when he talks about an irresponsible power, when I start looking at a situation and I go, oh, that's an irresponsible power, just like what Frederick Douglass was referring to. I don't know. To me, that's irreplaceable. And to be able to be part of that in a 12, 13, 14-year-old's life is incredible. To, one, offer those tools like for their taking, as well as to watch them learn (laughs) with them. And I say learn because... It's real clumsy at first. <laughs> Watch them work through those different things and rub shoulders with greatness through what we really do.
0: So I've been racking my brain, and this might be a stupid question, but who is Frederick Douglass? I hope I'm not the okay. only one
1: telling this. <laughs> no. Um, any my class would call him Freddie D.
0: Oh. But so
1: Frederick Douglass was a slave. He wrote his own narrative. So the book that we read is called The Narrative of Frederick Douglass. And I don't it's one of those books I don't think anyone could ever read it enough times just to say like I was a terrible student growing up. I don't think I finished a complete book other than Harry Potter <laughs> from after sixth grade. I was an absolutely, absolutely terrible student. And so I didn't know who Frederick Douglass was either until I was like, oh, I'm teaching history. And now I love him. He's one of my heroes. But, so he was a slave. Through different circumstances, he basically obtained his own freedom by being able to write. So he learned how to write. So he was sold to this lady who had never had a slave before, and so she didn't know that you don't treat slaves well, that you don't smile at them, you don't talk to them, you don't teach them to read. Which, like, good for her. Like, mm-hmm. She didn't know that. That's so. That's absolutely incredible. Because then she didn't have this idea that a lot of people had back then that they they treated slaves like animals as opposed to human beings. Which that's why they were slaves because they thought they were less. Anyways, she started to teach him how to read really little and then her husband goes off about how if you teach him how to read, he'll be unfit to be a slave. And if you do all of these things so basically he's he's reaffirming Frederick Douglass's humanity, like in his way of saying absolutely cannot learn how to read, he knew one, like this would make me unfit to be a slave, like what that there must be something more to me and this man knows it. And then second There must be something to this reading. And so he would go and, like, he would challenge little boys on the street, be like, I bet you can't spell cat. And the boys would be like, what? I can spell cat. And then they would write out cat. And now Frederick Douglass knows to spell. But So it's this whole thing and then eventually
0: through writing he worked his way out of slavery. That's really cool. So as you're talking I'm just thinking about, you know, history I mean I love biographies, I love people's mm-hmm. stories, and but sometimes like history when people lived so long ago, it was, it's hard to like imagine when they had carriages and they didn't have running water or outhouses or whatever. I just thought of this question because you know how it's always like, if you could have lunch with one person in history History. Do you get this all the time since you're a history teacher? No. Is that like guys pick a boy for <laughs> you? But who would it be? Would it be? I mean, besides your boyfriend? Let's look yeah, up. of course. Lafayette. Yeah, Lafayette. And besides Jesus,
1: um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, first, like off the top of my head, is George Washington, but that's because like I studied him, mm-hmm. day, and I think he's one of like the top best three people that have <laughs> ever lived. I know this is totally an offshoot, but I really like Audrey Hepburn so I think I would meet Audrey I know that's total wild card since like what I've been talking about, but I just think she was an incredible woman. And I read like little things from her, like just little quotes, you know, that I see. And I think she was far beyond her time. Like we live in a time of self-help and women's liberation and well, I been sort of liberated, but like as far as that we are equal and that you are not less and all those things when she didn't live in a time where that was that was the norm, and she was this beautiful woman who, put, who didn't put as much stock in appearance.
0: Hey, I like that. I wasn't <laughs> expecting her.
1: <No. laughs>
0: you talked about your students sort of mimicking you, but what's one thing that you hope that they take from this year of school?
1: So every year I hope they take the same thing. I know it's kind of controversial for teachers to say this, but I hope they take that I love them and that I tell them all the time, like, nothing would change your worth to me. Um, there's nothing you could do or say that would ever change my words. And every single year when I say that, like at the beginning of the year, kids are always like, yeah, what if I did this? What if I did this? What if I did this? And it always goes down to like, yeah, what if I murdered somebody? i was like, I would absolutely report you, but I would visit you in prison. I still think you are a human being worthy of love. Like I still think that there's there's greatness to you and in you and that you can still be a contributing member of society and you still have great things to offer and nothing can take that away. Like nothing can change that. So really that's the number one thing I always hope my kids take is that they have an unchangeable worth, that there's nothing that can change their worth. And so it enables them to take risks. It enables them to learn new things. It enables them to take on challenges because they know that if they fail, it doesn't mean they fall. It doesn't mean that like oh, I'm not as good of a person, or I'm, I'm stupid, I'm an idiot. It just means I accepted that this one time, and then you move on. Like it's not, it's not a label on their status or their worth, but it enables them to really
0: themselves, and move forward. If you guys haven't noticed, Katie and I are pretty good friends. We talk a lot. <laughs> but as you talk about school, and I love all my friends that are teachers. I just think there's so many good teachers out there. But I've really loved, as you've talked about your classroom, and you talk about these people in history, but then you tie it in with confidence. And I think that that's so cool, that not only are you teaching history, but you're teaching self-worth, and you're you're teaching love, you know? And, and so that's one of the the coolest things to, to take away because it, what's that quote like people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So recently you had emergency preparedness day and so I want you to talk about that and then also graduation last summer. So tell us a little bit about these. I've been
1: doing a bunch of emergency training stuff and a few kids came up to me and they were like
0: we were talking
1: about like what we would do in this emergency scenario. And a couple of the kids were like, yeah, we were talking about it. And we all said, like, we wish we were with Miss Lee. And I was like, why would you wish you were with me? And one of the kids was like, because she's violent. And I was like, I'm not violent. And they're like, no, because you're protective. We know that nothing would ever happen to us if you were there. Because I do, I care about these kids so much. And then also, like, as far as, like, it does soak into them. Like, you know, like, they mocked me and stuff. But it soaks in. And there was a kid that I had four years ago. And he graduated early. So excited for him and he made me cry, so he was our, he was the valedictorian, or I can't remember if he was valedictorian, or he was second, but the valedictorian couldn't be there, but he got up and gave a speech, and I hadn't talked to this student very often in the last, like, three years, but he got up at graduation, and he was, like, saying thanks to people, and I'm just sitting there, like, oh, I can't believe how, how blessing to know this student, like, he's absolutely incredible, and I'm thinking about all the influences I've had in my life. And then he says, and I especially want to thank Ms. Gleed, who taught me that we all have something to give. And he talked about seeing that in everyone. And what an enabling thing for that student to learn way back when he was 14, that, that he can give, that not only does he have something to give, but everyone has something to give. And so there's nothing, no person is ever going to hold him back. We always hear about different confrontations people have and different problems people have. He's always looking for what he can learn from somebody else and to accept and honor the gifts that other people have as well. It's such an enabling thought.
0: Oh, totally. And
1: that just sunk into him, like, three or four years ago from discussions that we had, like, that may not have even been me. I may have just been in the room when it happened and so I got credit for it. But.
0: No, but I think just that he he talked about you at graduation, I think that's so cool.
1: I burst into tears. I was like <gasps> Like I made like such a loud noise and then burst into tears just because he is such a phenomenal, phenomenal kid. And to be able to like know him was an absolute honor to like have him pass through my
0: pocket. He's right up there with George Washington yeah. I and mean. <laughs> Yes. <Yeah. laughs> and Lafayette. So Katie, let's talk about your concussion that you got from a student. Do you want to describe that experience? Yeah,
1: so I, last year I got a concussion from a student and it was was actually at the beginning of this school year, um, we did like this staff development thing where they said like, if you've ever fallen asleep in a class, come to the center. Not like as a teacher, but like if you've ever fallen asleep at school, come to the center. Or if you've ever had a speeding ticket, come to the center just to like mix and mingle with new staff. And they said, if you've ever had a broken bone or a severe injury, come to the center. And I was like, at the school? Yeah, me. Because <laughs> I've broken two bones at the school. I've got a concussion at the school. And I've only been there, I'd only been there four years at the time. So last year, I had a class and we had read a book called The Tao of Pooh, like Winnie the Pooh. And it's all talking about like Eastern philosophy with the Tao Te Ching, with using Winnie the Pooh as the analogy. And there's a part in there where they start, they talk about Codleston pie. And so this boys' class that I had, was like,
0: we want to make Codleston pie. Okay, fine. What is coddleston pie? It's shepherd's
1: pie. Oh, okay. It's nothing. I was, like, so excited to make it. And then we got into it. And I was like, guys, this is shepherd's pie. But so we, like, went in the classroom, put tarps down on the, disinfected all the tables because it was a boys' classroom. All 12, 14-year-old boys. So we disinfected the tables, and they got into different groups, and they all brought their ingredients. So, a lot is going on around me. And this kid, like, they have to go wash their hands, and this kid comes back, and he keeps being like, like, like he's going to touch my face with his wet hand. And I was so focused on everything else going on, and I was like, don't touch your mentors. Don't touch your mentors. Don't touch me. And then he lunged at me and, like, went to put his hand on my face, and he wasn't actually going to touch my face, but I, like, lunged back, like, lurched back, and I cracked the back of my head on the kid behind me. Not like actually cracked my head, but like just wham, like hit the back of my head on a student standing behind me. And I turned around and I was like starting to black out. Like I'm seeing spots. And I turned around and I'm like, oh my goodness, are you okay? Like I like, grabbed the kid's shoulder for like stability and he's like, yeah, you hit me right where my coach tells me to hit the ball. <laughs> so he was totally fine. Like I checked with him, but that night so I played volleyball, like I had a headache and then I had volleyball games with some of the students after school, like in this intramural league that we have at the school and I started like seeing double and then I had a competitive volleyball game that night and like in a league that I play and I got really nauseous, like it was not good. And it was all from cracking my head on a student's head.
0: I love how he's so chill, he's like, hey, that's right where your coach says yeah, to hit it.
1: that's it. One of <laughs> the worst, like, so I... I was like trying to take more chances and stuff like that. And so two weeks later I went to a an improv show. My sister talked me into like putting my hand up and they're like, Is there any single girls? And so I went up on it's called Improv Broadway, it's fantastic down in Provo. And I went up on stage and they sang a song about me getting hit in the head by a student and being single and anything.
0: So can we talk about though, can we shift back? Sure. I feel like we're tying this all in all together. But to Ghana, okay. so you're you started a nonprofit, right? Yeah. To build a school in Ghana. Mm-hmm.
1: There's three of us that are most active in it right now, and we've been doing some recruiting. But we're called Building Blocks in Africa. And we're building a school in Ghana. So we're still in the fundraising phase, but right now it's so exciting. The, our contacts in Ghana keep sending us pictures. So they, we bought the land. The land has been cleared. We got all of the desks and all the chairs donated and we have all of the staff hired and we have an enrollment of over 200 students and we can only take 200. And Papa, he's our connection in, in Ghana. And we have a, it's so fun being a part of this board. President Rachel, like, she's absolutely fantastic, and I, I make can call me Madam Secretary Treasurer, and Jared, <laughs> like, knows the people, what we're doing, and he knows Papa. He's our connection to Papa, who's in Ghana, and he's the one who had the initial vision for this school, and absolutely such a great man, so loving. So the idea is, so he did all this survey work to and, like, the average income of families and things like that, and so... The way that we have it set up, the tuition that the students would pay would actually fund the school, like fund the, the salary and air and things like that, like the salary for the teachers, and it would make it so we could build a new classroom each year. So the school will become self-supporting and perpetuate itself as opposed to somebody else coming in and just giving a handout. And so we're hoping to go over in October. That's the the big hope to bring to bring the finances over to be able to purchase some more of the materials and really get things moving and make sure that the progress is going as it should be. So I believe Rachel and I are Rachel's going over in October, and I'm hoping to go with her. That was part of the switch from business to teacher. I have to budget that one. But. <laughs> um, and' I'm trying to think we're eventually hoping to build a foster home on the land and it's been an incredible journey and we're just in the fundraising portion right now we're about 7,000 short of being able to complete the school like all six rooms with a roof with all the walls everything we're so we're we're rounding the corner and hopefully the
0: corner's closed well the cool thing about this is it started out as just an idea, and then you guys totally put it into motion, and now you have the desk, you have the enrollment, because right. yeah. I feel like just a while ago when I talked to you, it was more like, yeah, we're working on this, and now it's like, uh-huh. whoa. Right. So so I'll put a link on notablepeeps.com right. if you guys, if anyone wants to donate. That's
1: a cool thing too, like I'll have, like I had a co-worker, I was doing um, some things for Operation Underground Railroad, I was doing a fundraiser for them, and I had a co-worker who was like, I had medical bills, but I had a dollar, you know, like that's fantastic like a dollar helps and so and that's where we're at where we don't we don't have you know tens of thousands of dollars that we need every little bit helps and so yeah people want to be a part of it and so there's lots of ways that we're doing a few different fundraisers and just going from there so yeah if anybody is interested in anything at all
0: donate on the website i donated so it's legit yeah
1: it's legit and we've got like venmo PayPal. GoFundMe, we have our Facebook page, we have a page. we have an Instagram, so you just want
0: to look up Building Blocks in Africa. Building Blocks in Africa, okay, I'll have a link to that as well. Well, Katie, thank you so much for being on today and for being an example of being a passionate teacher and starting this charity, remember, Building Blocks in Africa, and, and just for being a good friend to me. You really are a notable peep, so... Glad that we could have this interview. Thanks
1: so much for having me. I love Go to and you really make people feel good about themselves.
0: Thanks. Well, guys, remember to put on your shoes, do your best, and believe in the impossible. Thanks for listening. All my dreams are coming. All my dreams are humming. All my dreams are coming true. Thank you so much for pushing play and listening to this episode. For more information about today's guests, head on over to notablepeeps.com. And while you're there, make sure to submit your nomination for Who Would Be a Great Guest on the Notable Peeps podcast. Um, wait, so speaking of being single, I didn't give you a shout-out. Katie is single, <laughs> gentleman. <laughs> so if you want to date her, but <laughs> this can be your like personal ad. What are you looking for? Well, wow. <laughs> Oh, for real? Yeah, I mean, for real. Um, Okay, so the other day, I was thinking this book,
1: Essentialism, that I've been listening to, and I'm like, okay, no, i really... Because I just love people, and even more than people, like, I love men, and so I've just always been like, he's man, like, that's what I like is men, and so, number one, like, I do have very high religious values, and I, I value that, and so, like, I need in my church we call it, like a righteous man like that he has an active relationship with god and some other things that come along with that in my religion um but yeah so like a man who loves god and he's got to be like i'm an ambitious person and so like i need somebody who's ambitious um and i need him to be really happy cuz i'm a little silly like i'm a little goofy and i have dated guys before who just are not happy, and it's really hard for me, because I'm a really happy person. Um, not that I don't have bad days, but, like, I don't know, at the end of the day, I pursue joy, and so I need somebody else to be, like, in that pursuit with me, um, and I, but here's the thing, like, attractiveness is important to me, but I also think attractiveness is a is a choice for the most part, like, I'm 5'8", and so, like, yeah, I don't date many guys that are six. But I have gone out with guys who are shorter than me, and it that has never been, like, the one deal breaker. And so, for me, like, attractiveness is important, but I, like, you've seen a lot of the guys that I've dated, Steph, and there's not, there's not even, like, a trend to what they look like. And so, True attractiveness
0: story. is important.
1: But attractiveness doesn't necessarily mean, like, he's over six feet tall, and he could bench press me, and he could do that. Which Mm -hmm. Not that I weigh that much, but, like, (laughs) you know, as far as, like, being able to bench press me. But that, I don't know, there's not, like, a specific physicality that I'm looking for, other than I like feeling protected and taken care of, especially because, like, I'm terrified of animals. And so if I go on a hike and I say, like, oh, my gosh, is there an animal there? And he's, like, I'm pretty sure I can outrun you. And the eye makes me want to, like, I don't know, like, okay, no, we're turning back because I want to feel taken care of. And that's attractive. Yeah. Like a man that will take
0: care of you. Um, I actually was just thinking, I'm like, this would be so great because I used to always set people up. I don't as much anymore. But that would be so great if you met someone <laughs> who listened Aww. to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I'm putting it out there. I'll put a link to Katie's Facebook <laughs> your information. But but yeah, it's like that would be really
1: sweet. So